Do you like comic books? Um. Me too! Do you listen to podcasts? Are you still talking to me? Cool! I have one called The Comic Book Update. So? I do weekly reviews of story arcs, comic miniseries, ongoing titles, and more! I don't care. I know, right? So all you have to do is go to the website at comicbookupdate.com. Why would I do that? We post daily previews of new comic books every day. Ugh, someone save me. And every weekend is Cosplay Sunday, with blog posts featuring cosplayers from around the world. Excuse me, miss, is this guy bothering you? Back off, buddy. She's with me. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, sorry. Nerd rage. Oh, yeah. So check out the comic book update at comicbookupdate.com, as well as on iTunes, and stream it live on Stitcher. The comic book update, the antidote for nerd rage. You gotta get up close like this, and bing you blow their brains all over your nice Cyber League suit. <laughs> The killers are eating the flesh of the people they murdered. Believe it or not, zombies. I'm gonna make them an offer, can we? Dead. Corpses are returning to life, feeding on the living. All right, damn it. That's right. Now we've got a war. They seem to survive by human flesh. You know who I am. I'm Mo Green. We've only got 29 shells. We really need to work together on this. I need someone to help me reload. Everyone else to look at. I will fire. I'm running this monkey car now, Frankenstein. And I want to know what the fuck you're doing with my time. There's no time to take a hold. Freedom. You're my older brother. And I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Welcome to episode 49 of The Zombie Mob. In this episode, I am joined by Keith Zahn, actor from the Italian zombie movie, Postmortem America 2021, and currently working on the Giant Rubber Monster movie part two. That's your cue. Oh, hey, Daryl. <laughs> and joining us as well is Tim Burnt. Utility actor on film, the guy who holds the models together while Tom is filming, the man who also holds Tom together while he's filming, and from what I understand, sometimes he just holds Tom when he needs it, as an everyday counselor and a man who is not afraid of an adjective. (laughs) That's me. How you doing, Daryl? I am doing fine. And this month, we watched The Plague of the Zombies from 1966. Now, who, which one of you uh, recommended the movie, and why? What, what was the that, reason for this one? Well, that was me. Uh, I guess the big reason, Daryl, uh, was that, I guess, you know, nowadays everybody wants to talk about the modern zombies, so you want to talk about Walking Dead and uh, any of the Romero stuff, and, you know, even the Fulci stuff, and no one really kind of goes back and talks a lot about kind of the classic you know, zombie movies that were, you know, more or less dealing with, um, you know, your your witchcraft type versus, you know, an infection movie. Still there? Oh, Daryl? I'm sorry. I was muted. 
I was muted, and that's why the show sounded so much better there for a few seconds. <laughs> I, I, I was saying, apparently just to myself, um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying about how zombie films, the more contemporary ones, seem to focus more on how do the zombies affect the greater world? How is you know, the apocalypse happening? Everything is always set at the apocalypse at that moment that uh, things tip in favor of the zombies when the plague hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, yeah, where something like the plague of the zombies, that, that's really a good old throw, a good throwback to those classic days when zombies, zombieism was a local issue, a local problem for people. Like in this case, a small village in England. Yeah. You only need enough zombies to mine your kin. I mean, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, what are zombies for? Do it exploit for uh, free labor? Yeah. Now that now that's something. Now that's jumping right into the plot here. So before before we go into the plot, let's give the listener a brief synopsis of what we're, the film we're talking about, the plague of the zombies. Okay. Well, you want me to go on that? Well, you know, you're talking about you know as you as you indicated, a small English town that uh, all of a sudden has this. Um, you know, this, this zombie issue where uh, people are, well, they don't even know that. There's this malady that, that's taking over the town and all these young men are dying. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and there's this, um, what was his name, Lord? Um, um, Hamilton. Yeah, Lord Hamilton, you know, gets a letter from this village, you know, indicating that, uh, you know, it, it should be investigated, you know, why this is going on. So, you know, you know, you kind of got the start of kind of this weird, you know, mystery investigation where, right, uh, you know, you got to figure out what's going on, and you know, and there, and there kind of starts the, you know, the beginning of the zombie plot. You know, where, where all these old, where are the, why are these young men dying in the village? That's interesting to look at it from the point of view of uh, a 1966 version of paranormal investigations. Yeah. Yeah, where you've got you've got the local uh, you've got the young local doctor, Doctor Thompson, uh, and during the year that he's been there, people have been dying one a month, and Doctor Thompson has no idea why. So he reaches out to his friend and mentor, the uh, the elder statesman. Um, actually, they never quite call him Doctor, but it's always implied, um, Doctor Forbes, Doctor James Forbes. Well, they always call him Sir James. Oh, uh, that, okay, was, I was, missed that. It was always Sir James. Da, 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 you know, so that, that's what I kept hearing. Okay, I think at least maybe in my head that was very implied because Forbes is coming from, you know, coming from obviously he's some sort of nobility or maybe not nobility but aristocracy. He's something hoity-toity somewhere. Uh, very much so. Right. <laughs> and uh, And, well... And the fact that, uh, you know, he just happens to, you know, be uh, Peter Thompson's, you know, mentor and their daughters are such good friends. And so we all have to go down there and, you know, find out what's going on with all of these young men dying. Right. And it, it's, for me at least, it was kind of an interesting and then later on a little confusing why the women were involved in the story. Because for me at least, and again, maybe this is just a throwback to how Hammer crafted you know, a classic horror tale like this. You don't really have horror or it doesn't drive the horror home until at some point there is a damsel in distress. 
Well, not to mention just any damsel, a, a typical hammer hottie. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. And Sylvia Forbes fills the role of the uh, the hottie damsel in distress. Yes, she does. Oh, and mm-hmm. very nicely does. Yeah. <laughs> but we so we start off with um, as you described, we have the the deaths in this village. We have. Uh, Sir James being summoned in, and he's really the one who's driving this investigation. He's the one with the experience. Um, well, actually, I guess we should also mention this film is set in the mid 19th century. I think the year is 1860 for when this film is uh, supposedly takes place. Yeah, that's yes. Mm-hmm. So and oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. And you know, I was just going to add in there. You know, it was um, you know Keith and I were laughing about this earlier when I got over here. We started. We started talking about it, you know, was the, uh, you know, nobody, nobody's done an autopsy, you know, like, here, let's go do an autopsy, you know, let's go dig one of these, you know, one of these bodies up in the middle of the night. And, you know, we were laughing about the whole sequence. Of, right. It was. Yeah, there was uh, um, the one point where uh, Sylvia, so uh, without, without giving away too much of what comes up in the story, there was a moment when uh, the autopsy was clumsily suggested and fumbled into fumbled into the story and off the top of my head they didn't really do an autopsy they still ended up not doing anything except um probably at best a superficial examination not really an autopsy well was it the first time that they dug up one of the graves the grave was empty correct okay oh okay yeah later on yeah um but it's 1966 it's a hammer film you think they're going to actually show dissection of a corpse well that's true well they did well they did they showed segmented bodies but we should we should probably save save that for a few minutes in once once we lay the the groundwork for the plot with the listeners yeah we're not we're not very we're not doing very good building up (laughs) we are doing a quentin tarantino now don't worry about it what i'm going to do is i'm just going to edit the audio i'm just going to cut it into one minute blocks and i'll just adjust things i'll put the <laughs> conversation in the right order i'm sorry i said that's what tom does to us all the time <laughs> so i'll tell you what here's what i'll do because i i'm one of those people i sit and i write notes I've got the entire plot of this movie done as a 132-line uh, outline, 132 entries outlining the entire plot of the film. So how about I'll drive the plot, and we can talk about things as it goes across. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, cool. So as we said earlier, the film starts off with um, a voodoo ritual being conducted with a uh, woman with bleeding wrists and a man playing with a little man in a canoe, or at least what looks like a little man in a canoe. <laughs> um, then a we little jump... man in a canoe. <laughs> I'm sorry? Never mind, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I see my reference finally landed. Okay. <laughs> I've warned you guys ahead of time that I make bad jokes and lots of uh, lame references. So that we move forward to... Uh, as we mentioned again, also Sir James being summoned by um, Dr. Thompson and his wife. Oh God, what, I'm blanking. Alice. Alice. Alice and uh, Peter Thompson. 
summon James Forbes to come to the small village where they're living. Alice and Sir James's daughter, Sylvia, were friends, and uh, Peter was Sir James's uh, student when he was studying to be a doctor. They go to, and I don't think they ever named the village, did they? No. Okay. So, I, yeah, I, I knew I didn't remember a village, although I thought it very odd that once um, we got to know the villagers, there was somebody who was at least second generation there with a very thick Irish accent. He had a brogue. <laughs> he had a brogue, but he had the name Mar- Martinus, which is very Roman. Mm. <laughs> But um, so James and Sylvia arrive in the village, and the very first they get, very first thing that happens to them is they are accosted by fox hunters. Yes. Now, very odd to to start off with. Yeah, and was there any significance? Do you guys think, or any um, symbolism to having these fox catchers? Because they really don't play much of a part in the story. Except uh, a little bit later, they show up for one scene. Well, I think it. I think in what it does is it um, it introduces you to, I guess, part of your, you know, the 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 antagonist group of which we don't know about until later on. So it was kind right. of this really odd odd scene, that, you know, that happens with, you know, where did the fox go and what know, does the fox say? You know, what does the fox say? And uh, so, you know, we go through this thing where these, where these, where these gentlemen, these brutes uh, accost, uh, you know. And uh, so it was really, out, it seemed out of place at the beginning of it. And I think that that was Hammer's way of, of, of eventually introducing all of, the, all of the players in the movie at some point. So right. they just didn't show up. Um, inexplicably later on in the movie. Okay, because I, I looked at that and I was trying to find like some, you know, was there uh, some class system there? Because obviously we've got all of the working men, because this was a, a, a village of uh, miners. And by that, I don't mean children. Yeah, and, was, and, and, and they were, yeah, they were uh, working class people in the village. And I, I looked at the fox hunters as the aristocracy right. who were coming in and just being belligerent to, um, the, to the, the common local folk. And even though um, Sir James was also probably part of the aristocracy, he's not from around there. So right. it's, he's... he's if you're a stranger, you can talk down to people just like the, you know, the local miners and, you know, other people who aren't up to our class or standard. Right, right. So they, um, when we first meet them, uh, the, Forbes, the Forbes carriage is stopped when uh, Sylvia sees a fox. The fox hunters come by and ask, have you seen the fox? Which means they're not very good hunters. If they need to stop and ask somebody driving by, hey, did you see my fox? They probably aren't very good at it. And Sylvia, wanting to protect the fox, sends the hunters off in a different direction. Which comes back to bite her and her father in the ass later when they finally get to their village, their destination, and the fox hunters ride by and interrupt a uh, funeral procession and cause the body and the casket to get dumped into a little ravine. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, well, I was just—I was just going to say the the being able to see the body in the casket was a very nice foreshadowing um, in the movie. Right, because we do at this point get to see 
the body was in the casket. So later when the mystery gets a little more exposed um, or we get a little more into the mystery, it does make you wonder what's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and you do get a chance to take a look at the body because it shows that the body, you know, also that the person didn't die peacefully. There was this look of fear on, uh, on, on the corpse. So right. that also gives the foreshadowing of, you know, some, some sinister doings are going on in the village. Yeah, he didn't go peacefully in his sleep, most definitely. No. (laughs) And that does, and this is something that I'll I'll ask about, ask you guys about later, because it's something I was wondering. But um, I don't want to jump ahead. So uh, the long long story short, because we could spend, we could spend, I could spend the entire length of the movie describing the plot, the um, rushing through it or moving through it a little faster instead of at the snail's pace that I've picked up. Um, James and Peter finally meet up. Peter describes that uh, villagers are dying of, he called it some kind of a plague, didn't he? Um, yeah. Marsh fever. That's what he called it. Oh, right, yeah. Marsh fever. Right, which apparently makes you die with your eyes wide open and a, a scared look on your face. <laughs> and, I wouldn't want uh, harsh. <laughs> yeah, maybe he meant harsh fever. Maybe <laughs> he said something that was like harsh and people's mellow and they died upset. Maybe he could have been treated with like medical marijuana or uh, marsh grass, shall we call it? Well, you would you, have definitely had a more mellow look on the face at death, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so uh, once they start looking into it, we find out that, uh, or we see Alice in her home. Alice has a bandage on her wrist. Now, this is where I'll get to my question that I, I was saving. What was the point of the women? Because we we kind of we kind of tipped our hat, we kind of tipped our hands earlier. Um, the villagers are not uh, resting peacefully in their graves, as we find out later. The graves have been the bodies have been uh, disturbed. They've been removed from their caskets, and have been animated as zombies. But something I've questioned through the whole film was what was the point of the women? Because the women weren't brought in as worker zombies. So when we meet Alice, she has a slit wrist, and then later in the story, Sylvia gets a similar cut and is being um, – am I jumping ahead too quickly? I'm sorry. I, I feel like I, now I'm just sitting here thinking I jumped ahead too fast. No, you're, you're not jumping ahead too quickly, but it is true in, in the concept that, well, that, that they're you know, creating slave zombies, you know, what, and, but these – Seemingly, we're the only two women that uh, um, had been like inducted into the cult, so to speak. So, right. It, that was that was never addressed. Maybe maybe that's something they couldn't address back in 1966. I, I don't know. See, I thought about that, and I think back in that time they had they could do a little bit more as far as um, hinting at without be, without coming right out and saying something. They could get very close to. A topic such as um, actually here it is you know here we are 50 years later and I'm struggling to find the right word to describe it so maybe they couldn't I mean there was the implication there that um, Squire Hamilton had some ulterior motives for the women but when we first meet Alice and she has the wrist the the bandage on her wrist it's not much longer after that it's maybe three scenes later She's thrown from the uh, she's thrown from what it was the top of the elevator or it was the top of something by a zombie. Yeah, 
you know, well, you know, kind of goes back into that, you know, you know, the squire, you know, I mean, maybe it was a, you know, even though that they didn't dig into it, maybe it was kind of a, a desire and control motive, but, you know, that was the one thing where you wished that, you know, maybe they would have delved into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was very confused as to why um, Alice was killed off so quickly, especially given that, you know, she is the very first victim we see being affected by whomever the uh, voodoo people were at the beginning. Actually, I, I looked at it as it was uh, negative image Batman and his sidekick uh, playing with the little man in the rowboat to get Alice's attention. But I just never understood why they did that, what what the point was in the story. I mean, maybe there was that implication, but they never delved into it. And so that left me that left me a little confused. Well, I can tell you what, it's not the first time I've ever gotten confused in the Hammer movie. But, <laughs> Do you, you think know, it's a I, cultural thing of, it's a, very, it's a British film, so maybe it's something... Like it's something that if you grew up in the '60s England, you would just understand because of the inherent cultural references that you would already know that well, it kind of hints it. Yeah, well, it kind of comes down to you know the typical movie at that time, especially for Hammer, was to have a damsel in distress, and you know how do you fit that in? You know the the movie could have been easily filmed without that, but um, you know that is a you know it's an important part of your of your plot. Um, is to, especially in a horror movie, is to have 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 you know this 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 hottie in, in distress where you know she has to be saved and you know it was almost something that you know it almost appeared that they had to add in to give a, to give some extra sex appeal to the movie. Right. Actually, that's a that's a fairly good point of the um, at least the Alice plot sounded like something that was added on after the story had been developed. Because if we took Alice out of the story and just made this about the local doctor, the, the village doctor, Dr. Thompson, fighting a disease, or he, he's trying to find a way to fight a disease that's killing his villagers, and when he can't find it, he reaches out to his, uh, you know, his best teacher or his favorite teacher from his medical school days and brings him into the picture – and that teacher brings his daughter, which becomes this new element that gets your bad guys uh, gets your bad guys' interest. That story makes more sense. That seems to be a lot more of a consistent story, doesn't it? And but but also you had brought up earlier about Alice. Why was she killed off when she was? Mm-hmm. And I look at it as that one, she was killed off in a particularly gruesome way for a '66 Hammer film. Right. Um, from today's standards. I mean, it wasn't that much, but uh, it, it planted that seed in your mind. Well, that if that could happen to Alice, what could happen to Sylvia? So it, it enhances that damsel in distress at, um, aspect of it. That uh, yeah, Sylvia is in real danger out there. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, they definitely, they definitely don't hold their punches when it comes to Sylvia because she gets, what happens to her? She gets snatched up by the, uh, the fox hunters t- whisked away to um, what did I pull it, call it? In my notes. Um, she gets whisked away to their rape chalet, where <laughs> it's very, very implicit what they had in mind for her. Until uh, Squire Hamilton, our ultimate bad guy, shows up and chases them off. In that in that context, it seemed like Hamilton kind of took a shine to her. Now, do you think 
Now, uh, and I'm trying to remember without going through my notes, that happened before Alice's death, didn't it? Did it not? Yes, it did happen before Alice's death. So how does this sound that maybe Hamilton, our bad guy, first had his eyes on uh, Alice because Alice was the prettiest woman in the village, but when he saw Sylvia, somebody who is not married, so presumably she's chaste, he decides, why should I take Dr. Thompson's, um, why should I take what somebody else has already had when I can have something that is fresh and young and new? Yeah, so, think, you know, I, I think you got a point because we never really found out what the true, what the true purpose was. We didn't know if you know Alice was going to get turned into a zombie. I mean, we knew that he had control over her, but um, you know, she ends up dying uh, when you know Sylvia, you know, discovers her out there, you know, on the mine when she's right. you know in the, in the arms of well, we'll jump around in the plot in the arms of kind of the, the, the head zombie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so it's almost like, you know, Sylvia foils the plot, and we never really find out what true, what the true reason is for Alice to, you know, be under his control. Right. And nor do we find out, nor do we find out with Sylvia either, because that part of the plot, you know, if we're going to jump around, eventually gets, gets spoiled as well. Yeah, in the end, what Hamilton tries to do with Sylvia does kind of undermine what we're speculating about here with him having some, you know, misogynistic, romantic intentions for her. Because in the end, he ultimately puts her on an altar and is about to stab her in the heart. Unless he's, you know, into controlling dead chicks. Yeah. I mean, he did seem to kind of have control over her in a very Bill Cosby kind of way. While she was alive, I don't understand. You know, that that's where I kind of get a little confused with. Well, then why does he try to kill her? Because they, she does. She wouldn't be a very good uh, minor. Um, well, I, you could you could go to a necrophilia aspect of it, but to me, when I'm sitting there watching that scene and that he's going to kill her, is I'm kind of wondering the same thing myself. Is is, yeah, why is he doing this? And it, to me, it just came down to that was the most shocking scene that they could come up with. Right. Her on that altar, him with that knife, getting ready to kill her. I mean, it, to me, it just seemed like blatant pandering to be the most extreme and violent kind of thing. And, of course, you know, we're sitting here 50 years later looking at it and thinking, what, you know, what's up with that? Yeah. Actually, sitting here 50 years later, the thing I'm thinking is, what could they have done? And let's speculate about this. What could they have done in the end without killing, without risking Sylvia's life? You know, let's say, let's alter the story a little bit and say Hamilton wants Sylvia to be his lover. So he's got her under his spell. What else could they have done in that final scene to have really shocked an audience? Could they have had, like, um, children? Could children have died from marsh fever? only to turn up uh, slave zombies down in the mines. Do you think that would have been as equally shocking? Uh, yeah, that would have been as equally shocking, but, you know, that's, I just can't see something like that happening in 66. That's, no? That, that's too far out of, you know, when, you know, well, when did children start regularly showing up in horror films? Well, as, Village of the Damned, you know. Right. And when was that? What year was that? Um, I can't tell you what your village of the band was. Early, early mid sixties. Okay, uh, right. nineteen sixty. Wow. 
Yeah. Well, the thing I was thinking is, um, remember the classic Frankenstein with Boris Karloff and what happened to the scene with the little girl when, you know, Frankenstein's monster meets the little girl in the water and she's throwing flowers in the water. And in his head, he interprets it that as, well, we're throwing pretty things in the water. So when they run out of flowers, he looks at her and goes, well, you're pretty. And he throws her in the water and kills her. But he doesn't, he's not intending to do that. And that was the 40s, that Frankenstein? 30s. 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 Yeah. But it was also, but like I say, it was also cut. So maybe well, it wasn't something that they would have been even then ready to do. But, but getting back to your more original point of what was uh, Squire Hamilton's uh, interest in Sylvia, um, it would either be to, one, to seduce her, which I don't think he figured he could do, or it would be then to make her like a zombie slave, but, but not a slave that works in the tin mines. Right. That, that would be the only, to me, logical explanation of what he was, what he was thinking of doing there. Well, I, I do have another theory. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I would. I think that Squire Hamilton was gay. <laughs> and that's the thing. What would be the perfect girlfriend who lives in Canada but doesn't live in Canada? It would be the zombie girlfriend that, well, we, we can't, we, you know, we, we don't, we, no, we don't do anything like that because she's a zombie. So it wouldn't be appropriate, but she's my girlfriend. So you think that that was his cold vessel, huh? <laughs> That's what I'm. That's what I'm sitting here thinking. Is I'm just trying to come up with some kind of a justification to make sense of what happens with Sylvia, because otherwise it just, for me, it was just a crazy thing thrown in there. I can understand wanting to put her in jeopardy, you know, trying to shock the audience, but I still try to come up with something to uh, rationalize it. And yeah, with this plot, I I can't. I can't. But. <laughs> Honestly, with the plot, I mean, it is it is a classic type of horror film. This is your classic hammer horror. Yeah, but it really doesn't have the, the depth, for me at least. It didn't have a lot of depth of meaning. It was just a very straightforward, here's this horrible scenario. We've got the zombies coming from, uh, you know, we have the zombies that are resulting from, you know, Squire Hamilton having spent seven years in Haiti. Yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I never quite heard it pronounced like that before. That actually, that actually caught me off, off guard a little, Haiti. <laughs> well, there's, um, there's an Irish radio station that I, well, not an Irish radio station. In Ireland, you've got RTE, Radio Telefish Heron. Uh, it's the national um, radio network. And you can get you can listen to them over the internet. And I remember listening to because my family's Irish. I remember listening to one uh, one presenter on a net, on a news channel who was talking about what was going on in Guantanamo, and he kept saying that over and over. And I was going, and I'm sitting there thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Until he said um, terrorists were being imprisoned in Guantanamo. And I went, oh, my God, that's Guantanamo? <laughs> but that's how he said it, Guantanamo. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, for, for me at least, horror, when it comes to hammer horror, hammer horror is usually very, they don't go for gore. They've never gone for that. They are classic horror. 
And for me, this film kind of fell a little short of the horror. I mean, the most gruesomeness that we got was uh, blood on Alice and then Sylvia. Uh, Alice's, or I'm sorry, Alice's wrist and then Sylvia's finger. And well, yeah, we also had the graveyard scene where we true. had the uh, decapitation. That's true. We had flying heads. Yes, we did. Hmm. Wait a minute. Where have I seen that before? Flying heads. Oh. There's some story. Zombie movie that you might have seen. Yeah, it's there's like a tickle in the pit of my stomach and in my in my intestinal region about flying heads. I don't know why that is. Anyway, I'm drawing a complete blank. That's that's how I spend most of my days walking around drawing a complete blank with a similar expression on my face. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so we had that. We had um, we had special effects makeup that was only slightly better than what you get with Zombie Lake. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't think the makeup was too bad considering the age that it was from. I mean I mean you look at like the props that they had for like the voodoo rituals and stuff like that. You, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not as if they spent a lot of time and effort on coming up with, you know, those things. No, but it was it was effective, you know, especially you got, you know, the stereotyping that went on, you know, also with your with your with your Haitian drummers in the background. <laughs> Where did they come from? <laughs> so. And the helmet with it little symbol on it yeah. that was also on the ring that I noticed that he was wearing. So, mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't the, notice that. Yeah, the, the little symbol on the forehead of the, of the helmet was on his uh, uh, Clive's ring um, early okay. on. That, that gives you the foreshadowing that is who he is. So. But yeah, in, in taken as a whole, for me at least, this was an interesting watch. This is something I would definitely keep in my library just because it is a classic zombie film. It's got all the aspects of hammer horror that I grew up with, but at least for me, it, it was kind of a, a, a weak plot. What do you guys think? Well, it would definitely, it was not, it was not your shining star of the hammer movies. And it's probably the, probably one of the least watched of them, you know, it would probably go down in your bottom, your bottom view of, of, Hammer horror, just because it's not—it's not the typical thing. It's not your mm. your, your Frankenstein's, and it's not your vampires, and um, so it was a—it was kind of a little off-based, you know, movie that was really kind of unusual for their usual, I guess, genre push. Right. Yeah. I I looked at it more of from a from a stance that it's like once again the old school black magic voodoo zombies. And then two years later, um, Night of the Living Dead comes out and zombies become a completely different, you know, thing. Uncontrollable right. flesh-eating monsters as opposed to, you know, automatons under the control of somebody. And I, I kind of look at the two years between the films as like, wow, what a gulf as to how do you look at this genre? Right. There's a, uh, there's, um, a term that's used... God, I'm trying to remember who the uh, the author was but there's a term that's used in evolutionary biology called punctuated equilibrium <clears throat> i don't if you guys are familiar with the theory the basic premise is a uh, population will stay pretty much static and consistent until something comes along and disrupts the ecology of that population of that area and things will start to adjust and they'll you know adapt 
you'll have, you know, some species will die off. Some species will go from being um, predated to a little more dominant maybe, or at least dominant number-wise or less, you know, less prey animals. But the whole point being that in this punctuated equilibrium is when a disruption occurs, things will start uh, fluctuating until a new equilibrium is reached. And at that point, it'll stay more or less stable. And I like what you're describing there because up until 1968, all zombie movies were basically white zombie, plague of the zombies, things like that. It wasn't until Romero came along and really shook up that genre with this newer idea of non-voodoo zombies. It wasn't until he came along that things started to change. Yeah. Evolution doesn't happen slowly over time. It happens in spits and uh, spits and spurts and just suddenly it happens and then it stops again. And, right. And, and that's what Romero brought about in, in 68 with Night of the Living Dead. Right. Romero brings us this idea, which, you know, it kind of sets that new equilibrium, that new um, maybe even almost a false vacuum state of things seem stable, but it's still prime for some more disruption. And then that disruption came about in the early 2000s with, um, and I hate saying it, this is not a zombie movie, but with 28 Days Later, Max Brooks and his books, The Walking Dead, things like that. We see you know, this new complete shift from, you know, oh, was it radiation? What was it with Romero to now it's, oh, we've got this biology, this uh, virus-based cause that gives us everything. Yeah, that's kind of what the term I put in on any time I've talked about zombies was, is, you know, your infection movies versus your, you know, witchcraft, you know, mutism. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you know, the, you know, you do have two totally different, you know, premises on there, which is, you know, the out-of-control, you know, the out-of-control zombie versus the controlled zombie. Right. And who would ever thought we'd be talking about controlled and uncontrolled zombies? <laughs> But another piece of it is that uh, since um, these, this movie, A Night of the Living Dead, um, the whole idea of black magic and ritual and stuff seems to have been moved over to the mummy genre, where it still, that still goes on with mummies. Um, but it just, but, so it's sort of been a differentiation between mummies being a oftentimes something that could be controlled and summoned versus zombies becoming like absolutely uncontrollable and just, you know, radically dangerous. So it's right. That's what I keep looking at is thinking, Oh, you know, the zombies turned into the mummies basically. And, and a new zombie aroused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the, um, change that I was just reading something about that too with mummies and, now you're tickling my memory on there of something I had read about the, the mummy. Uh, ugh, I hate this. I, I will remember as soon as this conversation is done and this episode is posted, I'm going to go, oh, yeah, that's the thing I read about the mummies. I was reading something about uh, how the mummy genre changed in between the 60s and the uh, 90s, but not in the same way that the zombie genre had changed. It was something with um, – because it ultimately ended with, um, was it Brendan Fraser or whatever his name is? Yeah, The Mummy. Yeah. yeah, and how it kind of went, that genre kind of went full circle back to um, the whole thing of curse and history and Egypt as this, you know, this hotbed of some kind of, and I'm doing air quotes, some kind of technology that resulted in the ability to uh, 
put the dead on, not on ice, obviously, because they're in a desert, but to put the dead on hold until some later trigger. Oh, this is going to drive me insane until I remember it. So to the listeners, I will call in on the comment line if and when I remember what it was that I read. I'm going to have to go back through my, well, I may not want to go back through my browser history to find what I've read in the last week. I can just see that. You're going to go back in. You're going to go back in and edit this, and you're going to add in some some, some, some stuff that we didn't even cover. Where did that come from? Gee, you <laughs> just re-edit the episode. Well, that's the thing is I, I sometimes I go back and re-edit episodes and, you know, dub in dialogue for myself answering my own questions, so I seem a lot smarter than I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to Google on the fly. Well, uh, so let's let's wrap up things with the plague of the zombies. So one of the things that we've done from the first episode on is we always looked at a film and said, is this something that we could is this something that we would recommend to a person who has never seen a zombie film in order to introduce them to the genre? I would say no. If uh, from what we expect of zombies nowadays, it mm-hmm. should not be the first uh, film first zombie film somebody sees. No, definitely not. I think if you're a zombie fan, though, it's something that you definitely have to see because, you know, it's, it's something worth taking a look at when you're looking back on the evolution of the zombie, of the zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Have to there. You have to see that. So I would definitely agree with that. I would say that this is a film that won't make you like zombies, but once you do like zombies, this may be that, you know, that haute cuisine you might want to check out just to see what else there is. You know, because sometimes you won't really appreciate, you know, you may get to your 20th zombie film that's, you know, something done since the 90s, and you may not really appreciate what it is until you go and look at something just completely from that perspective out of left field that really makes you see what it was, what references might be might be made in these newer films, you know, harkening back to something like The Plague of the Zombies, and then you come back to it with a new perspective of looking at voodoo versus science versus, you know, what other kind of zombie there is. Yeah, because the plot on that is actually, it's a very cool plot, that it's not your, you know, it's a control plot, but the, but the whole purpose of this was this guy was taking control of, you know, the, the young men in the village, you know, and getting them to work in that tin mine, you know, for his own purposes, for his own riches. And, um, you know, that's not something that's generally explored in, you know, a lot a lot of your horror movies, um, right. you know, usually one typical monster or a few monsters. And, you know, this was some way a guy's way of a person's way of taking taking control of a town, you know, for his own. For right. His own. Yeah. You look at something like the Frankenstein films that is um, science and hubris bringing about death and destruction until ultimately the people rise up and, you know, rest from their, uh, you know, their betters, you know, in the case of Dr. Frankenstein, rest from him the reins for their future. You come to a film like this, and it's not hubris so much as greed. You've got the uh, heir to the tin mines of this village. Um, the, the mines have been collapsing, but he still, you know, he needs to feed his... Uh, his his playboy ways. So he uses something that he learned 
while away for seven years to get some free labor in order to keep paying for – oh, actually, hey, there we go. There's the, uh, the fox chasers, the fox hunters, just so that he and his, uh, his frat boy buddies can continue to live the high life without mm-hmm. having to actually work to earn it. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm so glad I bring that all together at the very end of the episode. Why didn't I think of that sooner? <laughs> you had to get to the end of the episode so you wouldn't give it away. Oh, that's true. I didn't want to spoil it. Spoiler alert. Well, guys, well, guys, I want to thank you so much for having been on this episode of The Zombie Mob. This is the first episode of 2015, by the way. I've been very lazy about getting people together, and I completely blame my co-host, Mike Zombie, for that. And I want to thank you and actually welcome you both to the family. You are now both members of The Zombie Mob with all uh, rights and privileges uh, therein. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, actually, the very first thing that you can use this for is you can get a 10% discount off of any copy of uh, the Giant Rubber Monster movie or the Zombie Mob. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, the Italian Zombie movie. We give the, the episode away for free. So if you talk to Tom, tell him that you're on the show and make sure he gives you a discount. Okay. And yeah, he, already gonna... said, he already said he was going to take 25% off of whatever he pays you. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty-five percent off for free? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I could do that. He's practically giving it away. Extra free. Extra free. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It's extreme free. Yes. It's taken free to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. But thank you again, seriously. Thank you so much for having been on the show. Thank you for recommending Plague of the Zombies because I had never seen this before. Yeah. Next time, uh, if you want to, we can uh, we can talk about. Um, you know, if we want to do this again, we can talk about Vampire Circus. Oh, that is definitely – is that a zombie film? Uh, no, it's not a zombie film. You can branch out a little bit. It's, um, <laughs> it's, an, it's another Hammer film, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, la- I'm laughing because not the last episode, not the previous episode, but the one before it, I think it was, we did Night Riders. And it was not a zombie film. We just did it because it was a Romero film. And through yeah. that whole thing, I kept busting Mike Zombie's chops about, oh, we're doing this not zombie film on a podcast called The Zombie Mob. Yeah. <laughs> but that, actually, that talk to me talk to me after we're done recording because that sounds like something we could do on a Little Dead podcast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode up and slap a bell on it and put it out there and see if uh, both of those listeners that I have will download it. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Daryl. Okay. Thank you, you, guys. How's Paulie? Oh, Paulie won't see him no more. Shot! Bleorg.